1: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinemann, Dan Nathan, and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, mutiny on the high seas, Florida suing the CDC, the governor demanding that cruise lines get the okay to set sail immediately. Coming up, how investors can navigate these troubled waters. Plus, is this the next target of the Reddit rebellion? Academy Sports and Outdoors rising in the ranks on Wall Street Fed will break down what this company is and why day traders are piling in. And later, a for sale sign of the times of what our chart of the day says about the health of the housing market. But we start off with today's big rally in big tech, the sector closing at an all-time high. Names like Microsoft, Alphabet, Facebook, all touching new records in today's session. And just take a look at how the mega cap stocks have done over the past month. Facebook up more than 20 percent, Alphabet up more than 12 percent. So is this tech turnaround for real this time? Dan Nathan, I'll go to you.
2: Well, it is in the mega cap. And we know that, Mel, we've been talking about it for months now. We've seen the, the mega complex, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, the Amazon go sideways. You saw that breakout last week of Alphabet, Facebook and Microsoft. And now Apple and Amazon are playing some catch up here. Listen, I, I like all of those names. That's where I want to be. If we ever get a pullback, I think you want to continue to buy those to see how they actually play on the other side of the pandemic. I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like a lot of those high growth names that we saw that were winners of the pandemic that started to trade at uh, valuations they could never grow in. You know what those are. They're the Zooms and they're the Pelotons, that sort of thing. And then I'll just put one last group in there, Mel, that I do not like. It's that IPO class of the last few months. And the major, major names there, it was Airbnb, it was DoorDash, it was Snowflake. Have you seen how those have acted this year? Not particularly well. And then the last bucket is really just the SPACs. And I I feel like we're gonna see a malaise, not great price action Mm -hmm. of a lot of those was just too much that came to market too soon. So to me, I like the MAGA complex. I'm a seller of everything else.
1: Yeah, we cited the performance in the past month of Mega Cap Tech or or Dan's MAGA complex, if you will. Uh, No uh, coincidence that rates have been pretty much tame over the past month as well. About a month ago, I think rates were 1.6 We're about a 1.64 right now, Uh, Jeff Mills. And that's part of your thesis as well. You actually uh, penned an op-ed on this.
3: I did, yeah. It was published last night, and I completely agree with Dan in terms of where you want to be in the tech space. But I think the outperformance probably lasts maybe a few months, and then the value cyclical trade reasserts itself. But my thesis does stem from rates, and I think rates probably trade sideways to down a little bit. I think Carter's going to touch on this uh, from a technical perspective in a bit, but I think the rate differential between Treasuries and, say, German Boons or JGBs become wide enough where foreign buyers are now coming into the treasury market. They're pressuring longer term rates. And then also, sentiment in the bond market has just been very bearish. So I think a normalization of sentiment in bonds also will serve to pressure rates here over the next couple of months. And Dan, Dan mentioned it, but you, you've had tech lag. It, it's, te- it's tested technical support, and now you're moving back to new highs. I think Facebook is a perfect example of that. So it's a good setup going forward. But I do think that value reasserts itself. Eventually, these foreign economies are going to get their acts together with the vaccine their bond markets will start to price in additional growth. That will compress the, uh, the, the interest rate differential that we're seeing. The valuation gap is still very wide between growth and value. Uh, and then you have things like the reconstitution of momentum. Tech's weight is going to be halved in MTUM, just as an example. So I think overall, you want to stick with value and cyclicals. But I absolutely agree that that mega cap tech trade here for a few months uh, is a good place to be.
1: What if you're one who's not inclined, Karen, to be in for a few months and be out after that, as you are? I mean, how do you decide which mega cap tech stock you want to stick with and, and will have the power to go higher over time?
4: Right. Well, that's a really good question. So one of the things I look at, you know, I'm not a market timer at all, so I have to look for earnings and, and fundamentals. And so we're getting close to seeing earnings, I think, uh, April 28th, 9th, and 30th, all of the MAGA complex, I think. I don't know if uh, Netflix maybe is an N in there in the MAGA something, I guess. Um, But we'll have earnings, and so we'll really see, are the fundamentals supporting the valuations, which I don't think are that high, particularly for Facebook and for Google. I think we're going to see, I mean, we we will see great earnings relative, but I think the market already knows that we're pricing it in. We're seeing all-time highs. But I still think the valuations are attractive here. So I'm holding on to all of them Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, and Amazon, which is my smallest position, but seems to be sort of finally finding some support and moving higher. We'll see. Um, also, you know, Amazon was, a, I think, the most uh, pandemic trade of the group. So uh, you can see why that would pull back a little bit relative to the other ones who should do better on a reopening, theoretically.
1: Yeah, Karen reminds us, Tim, of the calendar, because I cannot believe it's yet another earnings season <laughs> eve at this point. But we will get a good read on uh, some of these mega cap tech stocks just in a matter of weeks.
5: Yeah, and, and I think Amazon actually is one of those stocks that had the tailwind of COVID only accentuate that trend that it was in the middle of, right? How many different sectors are are making claim of that? So, look, I I don't think it's just a COVID stock. I think it's an e-commerce stock. And I think it's, you know, if you look at how quickly we've moved forward and people in this country are embracing e-commerce, I think, you know, Amazon and its ability to have... Uh, I I think, pull some of those profitability levers. I love Amazon here. Uh, And I I just, you know, look, the the comment on the big tech recovery, it's as if, you know, it's that Mark Twain quote about the reports of demise being greatly or death greatly exaggerated. Look, we've had four of these rotation cycles. I mean, last May at this time, mid-May, so almost a year ago, uh, 11 months ago, that great rotation was beginning that was going to leave tech behind. Um, Come on. I mean, you know, in in, since uh, March 8th, you pointed out the last month, you have semis that are up 18 Mm -hmm. percent, triple Qs are up 11, uh, outperforming the S&P by about four and a half percent. The last eight days, it's been even more pronounced. Um, You've actually had about an 8 percent move in tech, triple Qs, whatever you're following. So I, I just think this is a constant series of rotations. I think if you're overthinking it, um, I think you're focused on fundamentals. You're focused on bottom-up valuations. How long have we been talking about, Karen specifically, about the valuation in Google being uh, ridiculously cheap relative to the group and relative to the size where you could put capacity work, where big funds, where passive money could flow into? So I think that's what's going on here. I think the Fed has been reaffirmation. But on some sense today, I got the sense that the the, you know, the market was almost saying, hey, we want higher yields when you look at some of those industrial trades. I, and I think yields will go a bit higher. But again, it's just amazing to me that we're all saying yields are going nowhere. We're settled into a range. Uh, three weeks ago, people were, were screaming fire.
1: Yeah, let's get the technical take on that. Does this tech turnaround have real legs? Let's see what the charts say with the chart master, Carter Worth So, Carter, um, you know, all of the traders, their thoughts on tech predicated on the direction of the 10-year yield. So start us off on that.
6: Well, sure. But before we get to the charts, I think it's important to say tech is, it's not as though tech needs to recover. Tech never has been in trouble. It's just that on a relative basis, the small cap was outperforming to such an extent that it looks as though tech is in trouble. But remember, the spread between small and large, as measured by the Russell 2000 versus the S&P one month ago, was wider than it has ever been going back to 1978 except one other time. And so what we're seeing essentially is just mean reversion. Too much money going into small caps, cyclicals, beta, exciting things as sort of rested champions were resting. Now they're waking up. Anyway, let's look at the yield chart. We know, yes, we all know that yields have been in this perfect uh, 45 degree channel. You can see it there, almost like a pinball machine. Every time we get to the top or bottom, we react to it. and. Uh, as you all were articulating, I mean, so rates get to 177. Now we're back to 161. And there's this panic for growth or tech. Why? Before the pandemic, we were 2% and people were very happy to do their three to five year DCF work and give dreamy multiples to Adobe and Amazon and Microsoft and Apple. But now here we are 14 months later and rates are at 1.7 and they abandoned those dreamy multiples, but now maybe they're going to embrace them again. None of this makes any sense. What we do know is rates have been in a channel and we're at the top of the channel. Do we have to come back to the bottom of the channel? No, that's my bet. I think you buy TLT here. I think you buy bonds. Anyway, three uh, tech charts or uh, if you will, related charts. The first One and two are identical, just different annotations. So the second chart, but the first of tech, this is a two panel. And what you're looking at is on the top, it's the top five stocks in the S&P. You know the names. Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple. Now, I've plotted them as a basket, equal weight. And what we know is they've been steadily in an uptrend. But their relative performance, this is the key, the bottom panel, to the Russell 2000 has been straight down, and you can see the arrows that I've drawn there. And so if you look at that chart, that, that chart has never been in trouble. That top chart is the top five stocks, 21% of the S&P, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 21% at this point, and uh, almost $8 trillion. It's just that the relative has been so bad. It's, so it's not tech recovering, it's just that the reciprocal is now changing. So second chart of tech, it's the exact same chart. But look at the trend line on the Russell 2000 relative. We have bounced off that line to the penny five times in a row. And guess what happened exactly four weeks ago? We touched that line again. So uh, crowding in the small cap, abandoning of rested champions, and rested champions are coming back to life. Finally, last chart, it's also a two-panel. It's the QQQ, right? The top five stocks are about 40% of the QQQ top panel, it's ascending. Bottom panel, it's relative performance to the SPX, basically flat for seven, eight months. This is the opportunity. They're rested. They can reassert themselves again. And it's chasing small caps, cyclicals that are too steep that uh, we think is the, the bad, bad.
1: OK. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxtonworth of Cornerstone Macro. So, Tim, this goes right to your point of reversion to the mean.
5: Yeah. By the way, champions for a day, I'm sure you love that walk-off hit by pitch in the Mets home opener today, Mel. I know you're watching. Anyway, yes. reversion to <laughs> the mean. So uh, top five stocks make up roughly 45 uh, percent of the Nasdaq 100 or about 21 percent of the S&P. And, and that's exactly right. I mean, who's got the ability to do the more, uh, more damage on a day and in the last five days when the, the Fed has essentially reasserted themselves, the Fed minutes? Uh, give you some sense of really where we're going to be and where this this, uh, I think, reasonable, multiple, high capacity, decent growth, some capital give back trade uh, exists. And I think these stocks are not only covid stocks, but they're obviously consumer uh, staple stocks and and, uh, e-commerce stocks all in one. Again, I I think Amazon is the, the leader of that group for the next six months based upon where it's coming from.
1: All right, we've got an earnings alert for you on Levi Strauss. Shares are on the move after reporting results. Companies conference calls underway. Let's get to Courtney Reagan for the numbers. Court.
7: Hi there, Melissa. So a stronger than expected quarter for the denim maker, beating on earnings and revenues, raising both its first half revenue and earnings forecasts. The new guidance does imply a second quarter earnings rate above analysts' current expectations. Levi Strauss upping its dividend from four cents to six cents as well. Digital sales grew 41 percent and gross margins improved, thanks in part to price increases and fewer promotions. That's something other retailers have called out during the quarter, as well as lower inventory levels, Levi's inventory down 2%. The quarter though, was not without challenges for sure. During the quarter, a third of Levi's European stores were temporarily closed due to the pandemic, 15% globally, and currently more than 40% of its European stores are closed. Others have reduced hours. The denim maker does warn of ongoing adverse impacts, from the pandemic through at least the second quarter. Melissa, back over
1: to you. All right, Court, thanks. Courtney Reagan. So um, pandemic effects mm-hmm. through the second quarter, but they still managed to raise first half guidance. So Karen, how do you, how do you um, process that?
4: Well, I thought it was a pretty good quarter mm-hmm. on a couple of fronts. I mean, they even though they, the sales were actually uh, lower, they were able to have gross margin higher, which is really good. As Courtney called out, you know, there were fewer promotions and so better pricing there. Their rationalization of expenses was really good. So their operating margins improved a lot. That's a really nice cycle to be in. And I think some of that is a permanent uh, rationalization of the cost structure as they close some stores. And then if they get some bounce back in Europe, which I think will happen, I don't know when, but it will, then uh, that's going to be good for them, too. All that having been said, I don't I, I don't know, I don't own it. I don't love the name. It's not crazy expensive at all. And they've done a really good job. But... Um, It's, you know, mid-20s, multiple, so uh, I'm lukewarm on the Levi's. I have some
1: old ones from high school, though. I'll never get rid of them. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff Mills, you strike me as a Levi's guy, too.
3: Oh, absolutely. A little rip Levi's for sure. Now, the, 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 stock's at, the stock's at an interesting level here. I think 24, it broke above that. That was the old high. It's now sort of trading right around it. So I think the price action there is going to be interesting in terms of the near-term momentum. And they are doing some good things longer term. I think they're investing in the direct-to-consumer business. I think they're diversifying away from denim. They're opening new stores. They're focusing on China. I mean, all of these things are good. But near-term, I don't love the idea that about 60% of their revenue is from outside the U.S. We talked about 40% of the stores in Europe being closed. I do think that gets better, but I also think it takes time. So given the mid-20s P.E. ratio, um, I think you might be able to get it at a better price or the stock probably at least trades sideways for a bit here.
1: All right, Levi's up uh, almost 4% right now. Coming up, trouble on the high seas: Florida suing the CDC over its cruise line ban. Investors in the space left at bay. <laughs> How you can navigate these uncertain waters, doesn't end. Plus, did the Reddit rebellion just set its signs on a new target? Uh, we'll break down what is happening in Academy Sports and Outdoors. If you've never heard of the stock, stay tuned. We'll take you inside the trade. But first, we just got some big news out of Disney, the company betting on superheroes to get people back into the parks. we got the full details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a developing story on Disney. Shares are moving higher in the after-hours session. The uh, company giving an update on its reopening plans. Let's get to Julia Borson with more. Julia. Well, Melissa,
8: Disney just announced that the Avengers Campus will open at its Anaheim Park, California Adventure on June 4th. Now, this Avengers Campus is an extension of Disney's California Adventure theme park. That park, along with Disneyland, they open on April 30th. This Avengers Campus that's opening in June was originally set to open last July. Now, Avengers Campus will feature a Spider-Man attraction and an area based on Doctor Strange. And there will be Marvel characters walking around the park for lots of interactions. Now, all of this was just announced by Disney's parks chief, Josh DeMauro. He also showed what the Disney Genie app Is going to look like that was originally scheduled to launch in late 2020. Now it's going to launch to help people better navigate the theme parks, help them create an itinerary with shorter waits, smaller crowds. This is all part of a larger push that DeMar laid out to use technology all around the park. They've said that they found that people are already loving doing things like ordering food online and they're going to integrate technology in as many ways as possible. Now, merchandise is also in the same division as parks. Tomorrow, saying that there they are focused on e-commerce and really bringing shopping closer to where consumers are spending their time. He mentioned that they're working on some more streaming video shopping events, so integrating content and commerce there. He also talked about embracing technology and diversity in everything this parks and consumer products division is doing, Melissa. Julia,
1: Julia, should we expect in this update to get also a read on on demand so far for Disneyland parks in terms of advanced tickets sold, etc.?
8: Well, look, I think we will know a lot more on April 30th when Disneyland opens. But we heard from Bob Chapek not too long ago when I interviewed him recently that they think so far demand has been great. And Mm -hmm. they can tell a little bit based on the number of people who are showing up to the outdoor area that's right outside the entrance to the parks, which has had restaurants and shops selling things um, for a bit now. So they can get a sense of demand there. And also just in terms of Florida, obviously that park has been
1: open for a while now. Yep, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Dan Nathan, where do you stand on Disney as it uh, is going to reopen all of its properties in the U.S. at this point soon?
2: So. So, Mel, I feel like we haven't really talked about the uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier here. You know, it's one of these these Marvel streaming things that's hit Disney Plus. It's it's massive. It's awesome. They've announced yep. all this stuff. I think what really um, the way. Um, Julia just wrapped it all together. She talked about merchandising. She talked about the parks and this new Marvel universe coming together and obviously the streaming. So it's all working. I, mean, I know this has been a big theme for Tim and Karen over the last year, looking past the closure of the parks and some of the disruption to the movie releases. But um, I, I guess that, you know, if you wanted to be skeptical, you'd say, ah, 40 times next year's earnings. Maybe it gets back to peak earnings and sales in 2022, 2023. But who cares about valuations anymore? Trading it 40 times, I guess, is kind of the answer. So the prior high was 200 from a few weeks ago. It probably gets back here on this. There is an uptrend that it broke from last year's lows that I think is pretty impactful from a purely a technical basis. But there's probably a trade here near term back to 200.
1: Say for a split second, when Dan said, who cares about valuations, I thought that he was being sarcastic. But then I realized he actually meant it in this particular case, citing all the other positive things about Disney, including the technical picture. Um, Jeff Mills, you smirked when you said that. Should we be concerned about 40 times forward? <laughs>
3: No, look, I mean some of the things that they're doing in terms of Disney Plus, you can carry a higher multiple and I've liked the stock for a while, but at Bryn Mawr we initiated a position at one hundred forty. So not particularly cheap. It's moved up faster than we thought it would, but they're going to be a winner in the future media landscape. That, that's very clear. I think there's, there's potential for them to push into international markets. That's a good thing. And all of their businesses feed off one another. So the opening of the parks, I don't think demand is going to be an issue there. Um, and the P ratio was a lot higher, too. So you're starting to see fundamentals now support valuations. Uh, yes, it's expensive here. I think it can stay expensive and we're long-term holders of the name.
1: Yeah. Let's stick with this reopening trade here. Mutant- on the high seas, Florida's governor suing the CDC today saying the cruise industry has been singled out and prevented from reopening unlike the rest of America. He is calling for regulators to immediately lift the no-sale order. Cruise stocks hitting rough waters in today's trade. How should investors start navigating this? Because if, if the reopening for the cruise stocks, Tim, is uncertain, how do you even tell when business is going to return to normal?
5: Well, it's one of the reasons why I think if you look at EBITDA levels for cruise lines, they, they are still at a 15%, you know, 20% discount to where they were before, and granted, we know what they've done to their balance sheets to survive through here, um, but I, like I, it, this is just a matter of time. Uh, and By the way, it's, it's a bit ironic because I feel like cruise lines and, and airlines, got, they got special treatment on the, on the downside to, to help and protect them, um, while other great industries in our country, like the restaurant industry, were not given that. So. Um, honestly, I think this is a lot of noise in the short run. And and again, yes, they need the green light. Um, Investors that have been playing reopening trades have been looking at this dynamic with the cruise lines. I think CCL um, is a place you can play here. If you look at their net leverage, they're probably going to be back to around four times by the end of 22. uh, And I think that's investable.
1: It's just a matter of time. But I guess the question for investors is, is it enough time such that these, these companies might need to raise more money, Karen, which they've already done. Tim alluded to that in terms of what they've done to the balance sheets.
4: Yeah. I have a question, though, about mm-hmm. this, re, the reopen. Can they each decide on their own or whether they want to have a vaccine passport or what, whatever you want to call it? Well, to, Nor- Norwegian that- has
1: indicated that it wants all guests and it's going to require all of its employees to be vaccinated in order to be on, on a cruise but the CDC has a no sale right. Are they the order only so ones? that they've just, that's what they have decided so far uh-huh. so far they're the only ones as far as i know
4: uh-huh i mean that seems interesting to me i wonder if one had that would that be adequate for the CDC to say all right you can sell
1: The problem is nobody knows, Jeff Mills. The problem is (laughs) (laughs) all these cruise lines want to to reopen. They're saying, we'll change our filtration system. We'll we'll, uh, require vaccines. And yet we don't know if that's going to be enough because the CDC has a no-sale order.
3: Yeah, and the uncertainty is going to be there for a while. There's no way to predict exactly how this is going to go. But as with Disney, I think it's pretty clear that the, the demand is going to be there. I think Norwegian had its biggest booking day ever about a month ago. I've talked about the pent-up demand in terms of savings. The charts are actually looking a lot better. But, you know, to Tim's point, they're, they're still burning a lot of cash. They've issued a lot of stock. They've basically doubled their long-term debt. So if you want to play in the space, I think you want to pick the, the most quality operator. So if you're talking about debt metrics... Norwegian is the worst. Carnival is the best. Carnival has the size. They operate in certain areas that are a little bit more flexible. Um, so I think that that's important. So uh, I think you can you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I would be selective and I would be careful.
1: Yeah, we've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
6: The Reddit rebellion strikes again, but it's not GameStop or AMC lighting up Wall Street bets. We'll tell you which stock is getting hiked up by retail investors. Plus, a pot deal lighting up headlines. The traders are rolling into the cannabis trade. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
2: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. The Reddit army appears to have a new target. Check out Academy Sports and Outdoors. ASO is a ticker there. The stock having a wild week as retail investors pile in. Justin Zen of ThinkNum Alternative Data joins us on the Fast Line. He's been tracking all the chatter on the Wall Street Bets board on Reddit. Um, Justin, it seems like a, a, a switch was flipped in terms of the activity on ASO.
0: Yeah, Definitely. Um, so the company, I think, reported a uh, blowout earnings on Tuesday. And the chatter on Reddit was still uh, relatively quiet um, until over the weekend. Uh, basically, it increased 944% between uh, Friday and Monday. And then from Monday to Tuesday, there was a further uh, 240% spike. And today, um, Academy Sports is actually the uh, second most talked about uh, stock in, in Wall Street bets.
1: Is this just off a low base, though, Justin?
0: <laughs> um, it's actually off a pretty high base. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's the second uh, most popular stock behind uh, GameStop, which is uh, pretty fascinating, considering there were there were a lot of other names that were already uh, uh, that, that are already in play.
1: You may or may not be able to do this, but what do you extrapolate based on on the spike? in interest in this name, given what you've seen in GameStop?
0: Yeah, um, so if you actually look at uh, the alternative data, it's really interesting. Um, so 76% of Academy Sports, 76, 76% of their stores are actually in-state, where there's currently no mask mandate. Um, compare that to 27% for competitors such as exporting goods, and 32% for competitors for Walmart. Um, so if you actually look at some of the posts on Reddit, you can see uh, some some of the commenters there doing due diligence. And I think that contributed to a blowout quarter. And I think uh, it's a consumer brand that redditors are getting behind.
1: All right. Justin, thanks for all those insights. We appreciate it. Suggestions Zan of ThinkNum. Let's now bring in Greg Mellich. He covers ASO at Evercore. He's got a buy rating in the stock with a $33 price target. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here because this is a name that we don't really talk about often. But just to pick up on where Justin left off in terms of the overlay of where the stores are and the mask mandates being lifted, is this part of your bullish case when you lay out your bullish ca- case?
9: Uh, well, it could be. I think, I think what we're learning right now, and this is true for retailers across the country, Uh, is a lot of the COVID winners last year, in the case of Academy, they were. They had very strong comps, uh, ended up being about uh, double digits for the year. And there was a lot of concern. What happens when we have to cycle people buying outdoor equipment, right? Their sports and outdoor camping goods, you name it. Uh, And so now we're starting to see that reopening. So I don't think the mass has much to do with it. It's really the reopening generally. Uh, And there are a lot of these activities that consumers did last year that Uh, You know, we do think their sales will go negative in the second quarter, that's been the fear, but they might not be as negative as people think. Uh, And we think as a result, they could end up having flat comps for the year uh, and grow earnings uh, to really to $3 by next year. And so we just think it's too cheap a stock uh, for the, 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 the quality of the business it is.
3: Hey, Greg, it's Jeff Mills. Thanks for being on. I just had a quick question about the business leading up to 2020 obviously 2020 was a good year there were certain tailwinds that the business enjoyed but if you look at same-store comps in the three or four years before that not necessarily all that robust can you talk a little bit how you might see that
9: changing going forward if at all that's a great question So, so they had a new management come over the last few years uh, that basically uh, reinvigorated the merchandising uh, got a lot more local product in the stores uh, got rid of some things that were non-core, and as they were getting through that, you did see comps turn from negative to slightly positive for three quarters before COVID hit. So it's it's I think it, uh, ideally you would have liked to see more of that, not just for three quarters, but maybe six uh, before COVID hit. But it hit when it did, uh, and they pivoted very quickly uh, to doubling their online penetration to ten percent of sales last year from five. So they really took care of their customers uh, and got the products they needed last year. And the key now will be you know, there will be hard to cycle some of those things, uh, but there were a lot of areas that were weak last year, like team sports, uh, which we think was a, a mid-teens percentage of their sales uh, if you add in licensed apparel. Uh, so these are things that were weak last year that now that we're starting you know, high schoolers and, and kids are starting to go back to the uh, baseball diamonds and, and football fields properly uh, next fall, that that could be an area where they could make up some of those, those difficult comps that they're going to have in, in, say, camping equipment.
5: So let's talk about those digital cops because th- that, to me, is really the crux of the story. And, and, you know, yes, we're talking about this on Reddit boards, but, I mean, this is so different than GameStop uh, in terms of a company that, that really has actually had a tailwind. It's not a challenging valuation. Um, it's not a broken company. But the key, it sounds like, and the key to the surge here is not only stimulus checks and pent-up demand and people wanting to get outdoors, but a company that's learned how to get into the online business. So is that is that really a
9: game-changer? It is a game changer. And I think any traditional retailer, if you hadn't figured it out in 2019, they you have to figure it out now. You know, e-commerce is going to be 35% of U.S. retail sales in five years. That's what we believe. Uh, that It was 20% now, basically. And so it pivoting your business to that, uh, and we think multi-channel, it's not just e-commerce players like Amazon, which we like. It, it's It's traditional retailers pivoting Uh, to being truly multi-channel, where they become agnostic and they can serve the customer, either shipping to them next day or same day, or tell the customer, you know what, you want to buy that new canoe? Uh, Come on down here and get it, and we'll have it ready for you. And I think, you know, Academy's done a very nice job of doing
4: that. It's Karen. Thanks for coming on. Let me just ask you a couple of questions about the, the stock trading. So Kohlberg uh, KKR had sold 12 million shares in February and possibly more today, 9 million. We don't know yet, but that seems likely. Do you think there's a overhang on the stock? Do you know what they're planning on doing with the rest of their position? And does that matter to you?
9: Uh, well, I think you sort of define the overhang. So, yes, it was an IPO uh, that happened late last year, and they've been selling that down. Uh, But I think that's sort of a normal, natural process as a company. As it gets more float, I think you can end up having more interest, and it actually will help the liquidity uh, so that some larger funds could actually take a look at it. So I think I I actually look at getting rid of the overhang is is healthy, uh, and it will allow a a fuller, more market to develop for the shares. The the easiest comparison, I would say, that's out there is Dick's Sporting Goods. And and we like Dick's as well. It's a good company. Uh, They have even higher digital penetration to give them some credit there. Um, but I would all they, they trade basically three or four multiple points higher um, uh, than Academy. So well, that's why we, we use 11 times for Academy on our next year numbers uh, and Dix is around around 14 and a half or 15. Laughing, so, uh, sorry, that's it's a nice gap.
1: Sorry about that, Greg. <laughs> this whole like remote thing is not working out too well tonight um in terms of your bull case forty eight dollars is your bull case given the high short interest in this name given what we now know in terms of the interest on the reddit boards does that forty eight dollar bull case become a little bit more likely in your mind does the needle move toward the bull case as opposed to your base case because of that it,
9: the, the bull case is a bull case right so okay. it's a lot of things line up right so, so i would say that the bull case could become relevant, let's say, in the next 18 to 24 months. If they can cycle last year's comp and show that they won new customers through the downturn and continue to develop that multi-channel business, I think that's where the market will start to say, hey, this thing, you know, Academy is worth more than nine times earnings. It could be worth 10, 11, or 12, maybe even 13, Uh, they also are generating a tremendous amount of cash. We think it'll be over $300 a year of free cash flow the next couple of years. Uh, And and that means that's a free cash flow north of 10%. We just don't get that for a lot of of growing quality retailers.
1: Yeah, and the company has said that they're interested in delevering as they generate that cash. Greg, it's great to speak with you. Thanks for educating us on the stock. Greg Mellick of Evercore ISI. Let's bring in Bono and Eisen to see what's going on in the options market on this one. Bono and what do you see?
10: Hey, Mel. So a lot of the dynamics that you're speaking about in the spot market are actually translating into the options market. And you can see that in in the options. Calls out place puts about two times the one. And much like the stock option volumes are about three times what we typically see on a normal day. Uh, Furthermore, options are pretty jacked here. They're implying about a 22% move in either direction between now and May expiry. And the trade that really jumped off the tape to me, 500 of the May 30, 45, one by two call spreads traded for about 130. So from the buyer's perspective, your break even is about 31.30 or 109% of current spot, max profits being realized at the high strike or $45. After that, the long, the, the short convexity starts to work against you, capping your profits at about 57.40. Now that's 200% of current spot. And I wanna be mindful of that because there hasn't been a propensity for these names to gap 50, 100, 200%.
1: Hmm. Um, Dan, what's your take on all of this, on this whole conversation on ASO?
2: Yeah, well, listen, I know uh, Tim really likes dicks here, um, but I I prefer this ASO. And I think you might have an opportunity if it were to settle back in in that um, in that twenty five dollar range, which it seems like it consolidated for the the valuation story sounds really good. And the deleveraging story sounds really good. And now that you have this Wall Street bets community behind it, it looks like it gets bought on dips.
1: Yeah. uh, The short interest, by the way, I mentioned that being high, about 40 percent of outstanding shares, according to FactSet. Bonwin, good to see you. Thank you for that. For more options action, be sure to tune into The Full Show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, one stock shedding some gains after a big bank downgraded the name. We are digging into what is analysts tightening their belts. Plus, shares of canopy growth dropping even after the company locked in a powerhouse pot deal. You've got more on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. W.W. shares shedding some gains on the back of a downgrade at Morgan Stanley. It's our call of the day. The firm removing its buy rating on the stock saying discretionary dollars could move back to travel and dining out as the nation reopens. Sounds like people might need W.W., but, you know, here's the downgrade. Karen, what would you make of this? You've been in this name.
4: Yeah, I've been in this name since the beginning of this year. Um, It's not a bad call. It makes perfect sense. They just feel like. You know, the stock has approached their target of 34, and they also had some data that they thought was um, not as robust as they hoped, which was uh, app downloads. And they were thinking that maybe the subscriber growth that we had hoped for will actually not be as strong. And so therefore, 34 bucks and where it was 31 or two yesterday going to an equal weight. I mean, there's nobody in it, I think, who's underweight. This, this little segment practically writes itself. It's kind of such a, uh, um, an easy pun, I guess. But I, to me, I'm still long. I have t- trimmed some. I wanted to shed some of that exposure. I sold some 35s in May against it, lightened up a little on the stock. When I first looked at it, the multiple was 13, which is just too cheap. It's 16 and change now. But I am still long the bulk of the position. So I'm hoping we see it higher. This
1: whole thing's a pun. It's a pun after pun after pun. And totally unintentional. Um, Tim, where would you be on this trade? <laughs> well, th-
5: think of the great irony of a downgrade from overweight to equal weight, which is where people are trying to get to with Weight Watchers. But anyway, um, look, I I think this is a case where the stock's had a decent run. I think it is a valuation call. It's a company and it's a brand in transition. And I think obviously this is a lifestyle wellness play that I think will continue to be. I I think as people get out and about and and I I think it's going to be another very nice tailwind for people that are going to say, you know what, I let it slip a little bit. Um, And again, this is about wellness and lifestyle and not simply, you know, about shakes and and whatnot. And I I, I think it's actually a stock I would own.
1: Yeah, I I can't figure out. I mean, if we reopen, then dollars will be spent on other things. I understand that intellectually. But I also feel like people will be more um, in tune with the need to look good, to be healthy as you go out in public again, Jeff Mills. (laughs)
3: No, oh, I agree. I think the uh, the quarantine 15 is a real thing. We were actually talking about it a little bit earlier on one of our calls, but I do think that's a catalyst. You had some weak subs growth earlier in the year, but I think you could you could have that being uh, a nice little boost because people are looking toward reopening in summertime and. To Tim's point, they've done a good job transitioning the business. They've gone from in-store to digital. It's cheaper for the customer. They have better margins. So you might want to be patient here, but I do like the story long term.
1: All right, coming up, we've got a chart of the day that proves just how hot the housing market is, or maybe isn't. <laughs> you won't believe your eyes. More on that ahead. But first, shares of canopy growth getting smoked today as a company inks a new deal. Our high time's over for the industry. That trade and much more when Fast Money returns. Shares of canopy growth dropping after the company inked a deal to acquire Supreme Cannabis for $346 million today. Let's get to Frank Collin with the details. Hey, Frank.
11: Hey there, Melissa. Uh, CEO David Klein described this deal to me as a premium push that sets up the company's plans for U.S. legalization. Here's a look at the numbers behind that deal. Canopy acquired Supreme at a 66% premium over its close on Wednesday. It gives Canopy 13% of the recreational market in Canada and $24 million of cost savings in U.S. dollars over the next two years. It also helps us round out our portfolio so that we can um, drive ourselves to profitability in Canada, which then allows us to invest in consumer insights and innovation, which is really the engine at Canopy. That will then help us come to the U.S. with uh, with better experiences, better uh, better branded products. Klein believes U.S. legalization could happen in 2022, but right now in Canada, despite a pandemic boom in sales, there's still an oversupply of cannabis. Wholesale prices down about 11% since the start of 2020, and there is an estimated two and a half million pounds of cannabis. That's enough for the next three years at current Canadian consumption levels just sitting as inventory. So when you look at the stock price, investors seem to be asking why Canopy would essentially buy more cannabis. Back over to you. Two and
1: a half million pounds, Frank? Is that what you said? Two and a half million pounds?
11: Two and a half million pounds.
1: Wow. it's a lot of pot. Yeah, I do a
11: conversion. Be, I got the number in kilograms, but yeah, it's two and a half million pounds.
1: Okay. Frank, thanks. Frank Holland. Tim, that pot can't stay fresh. Does it matter if pot's fresh? I don't even know. I mean, does it go bad? <laughs> What happens to this pot?
5: Yeah, well, you can, you, can, you can put it into concentrates. You can put it in storage. Um, this deal, for me, is about synergies, about cost savings. David Klein, who, look, I'm long the stock. I have a ton of confidence in Canopy's uh, position going into the U.S. markets when it's ready. Uh, meanwhile, it's a global consumer brands company, and I think because of the Constellation backing, uh, it's, it's in a great spot. Um, I think the more interesting thing for investors is, hey, you know, what's going on in the industry? Why have cannabis stocks struggled here? After you get New York, you get uh, Progress Unsafe, you've had great earnings. Um, and I think some of it's just, you know, conditions where we were a little bit overbought. Uh, look, today, the, maybe the more interesting deal was uh, John Salomon's second big SPAC, uh, the Mercer Park SPAC, buying Glass House in a billion-dollar deal for the largest producer in California where people really believe some of the best brands are coming from. And and the industry is getting more sophisticated. You have better operators. And and to be clear also, this is a a deal that we invested in on the hedge fund side. So uh, I'm excited by the opportunities here. The macro, the fundamentals, and the bottom up are actually quite good. And I think tactically, uh, you had a market that just got a little ahead of itself, while good news was a time to sell the fact.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good news, bad price action, Dan Nathan, in the words of uh, the illustrious Guy Adami. Does that concern you or is this just sort of um, right sizing the trade here, given the run prior to the good news?
2: Listen, You know, this is an emerging space. And Tim just mentioned the, the piece of news in New York this week. And there's been a lot of consolidation. I think you have to stick with people who know what they're doing. And I know that Tim has a, a, an ETF, the CMBS. It, it, it's up more than most of these stocks. It's actively managed. And I think you probably want to put yourself in a low-cost sort of ETF like that to get that exposure for a trend that's going to be around for a very long time. All right.
1: Coming up, love it, list it, or Google it. <laughs> the one chart that shows the red-hot housing market is still on fire. More Fast Money in two welcome back to fast money call it a sales sign of the times check out our chart of the day you're looking at google searches for should i buy a house and should i sell my house they are both at all-time highs (laughs) so is there still room to run in this hot housing trade karen what do you make of that
4: I don't know what to make of that. Honestly, you know, I'm a long term investor. I'm not trading around my house. I I can't tell you how much I would pay to not have to pack and unpack. I'm just not doing it. I've been in the middle of this renovation. I mean, I'm not trading. I'm sitting with it maybe forever. You're holding
1: (laughs) Um, Jeff Mills. I guess for many homeowners, you do have to sell your house in order to buy the next house. So maybe this makes sense.
3: And supply is so thin right now. And I know people are talking about mortgage rates ticking up, but I don't think it matters. So you want to own the builders, D-H-I-L-E-N. They're trading at good valuations. They've consolidated for a number of months. They're now breaking higher. So I just think the setup is very good for that part of the housing trade right now.
1: All right. Coming up next, we got your final trades. Be sure to catch the premiere of CNBC's new show, Tech Check. Carl Quintanilla, Debo, Deidre Bosa, John Ford, and Julia Borson. take you inside all things tech kicks off this Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
5: Yeah, I'm Long Constellation Brand's parent of Canopy Growth, and their their beer business better than many. Uh, they've also had divestiture that I think are accretive. Uh, I like the valuation. STZ is the ticker.
1: Dan Nathan.
2: I'm long Debo and the tech check. I can't wait for that. Um, and also Disney, I think heading back above 200 very soon.
1: Karen.
4: Yeah, so you know how I say buy when there's blood on the streets, even if it's your own. This time it's not my own. But looking at Brazil, where things unfortunately are really bad in terms of COVID, they will eventually recover. So EWZ, Brazil ETF.
1: General Mills.
3: So I know small cap is paused here a little bit, but a small cap name I do like is Primoris. Whether you're talking about onshoring or infrastructure spending, all of that is going to benefit this company. The valuation's attractive. The chart looks good. Yep. So PRIM.
1: All right. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
8: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success from before you enroll to after you graduate.